tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. AfterBuzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! <laughs> It's always such an odd transition from the very upbeat After Buzz theme to this. It's my favorite thing. It's yeah. my favorite thing about this uh, show. So, Thank hey, After Buzzers, welcome back to hey. the Fargo Season 2 After Show. Uh, real quick, if you're not doing so already, follow the network everywhere. We're all over social media at After Buzz TV. Mm-hmm. I am Lex Michael. I'm all over the social media things as well at the Lex Michael, and I am here with Dave Child. I'm at, uh, at Mr. Dave Child or DaveChild.com. So, tonight. We are talking about episode 8 of season 2, and it's called Lop Lop. And now, granted, we were only following two storylines this episode. We were right. keeping track of fewer characters at once than we normally do. But given that, I would still say there is quite a bit to unpack in yes. this episode. Yeah, that's true. Now, uh, we've been starting uh, at the top of the show by digging into what the title means right. and how it relates thematically to the episode. So I don't know if you wanted to kick that off maybe with what you discovered as you were looking around. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's the funnest title to say. Lop, uh, lop. Lop, lop. Lop, lop. Lop, lop is good. And we're back to... Referencing uh, Dada and surrealist pieces. This time it's a painter. Yes. Actually, uh, someone who makes montages and kind of made one of the first graphic novels, which is Max Ernst. Yes. And Lop Lop is uh, a character that represents himself. It's kind of his alter ego, kind of wilder alter ego that pops up in a lot of his pieces and a lot of his uh, books and works. Now, what does this mean in the Fargo verse? Why is it titled this and i think we can get into it as we talk about the the whole episode but i think this this episode really you saw two characters especially who are dealing with alternate versions of themselves and seeing how other people see them and how they want to be seen themselves yeah and big moments for the two characters in question and of course uh, if you're watching the show i assume you've seen the episode already i think if correct me if i'm wrong i think the two characters that we're talking about specifically are peggy and hansi hansi who both have their own moments of self-actualization in this episode and i think it's yeah it's it's, i found the same one true and one kind of false or actually maybe even both false but it's they're both just dealing it's rather than self-actualization which is kind of what Peggy thinks is happening to her. Sure. I think they're kind of dealing with who they are truly and who they want to be perceived as. Sure. And I think that's what Lop Lop is about. Because Lop Lop was a, definitely a reference on how the artist perceives himself and also a wilder kind of... It was like a bird-like character that he put himself as. So Yeah, it's, I, the the research yeah. I did led me to to this idea that Ernst created Lop Lop as a bit of an alter ego for himself mm-hmm. as a way to process trauma that he had experienced. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Yeah, no, I, granted, I don't know, I don't pretend to be We're an expert on Lop Ernst. Lop experts. Yeah, I'm not a We're Lop not Lop historian. Lop Lop 
Pertz. Laplapologist? Laplapologist. Yeah, Laplapologist. Laplapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapap
Oh, her name is escaping me at this moment. Cheryl. Carol. It's a uh, the lady we'll from the beauty parlor. By the time we get back around to that point in the story, I'll remember what it is. Okay, sure. But but yeah, so they take it and they decide that they're going to go hide out at the cabin of Uncle Grady, and we know nothing yeah. about Uncle Grady other than apparently he smells like athlete's foot. <laughs> oh, I thought he maybe got athlete's foot, so they wanted to like not go to the place where he got athlete's foot. Oh no, the, they they specifically reference uh, Ed says uh, that. Peggy like said at one point that he smells like athlete's foot. Oh, right. Okay. I thought I mis- I misheard it then. I thought he said, like, he got athlete's foot. That's why we never <laughs> went into the cabin. I'm like, wow, that's a... For someone who has, like, a basement full of magazines and kind of a hoarder <laughs> complex, that was kind of an odd thing to be like, oh, that's a bit too icky for me. So. And there's, there's that wonderful shot, and it shows you just how close it was. They leave and... Almost immediately, Lou and Hank arrive at the house. Right. And... I mean, Lou and Hank, this is not their brightest moment. I I do have to say, like, Hank is kicking himself. At least they really... Because we talked about how much of a character change that was for him to just leave. And at least you see him go like, all right, I need to go to the hospital. Kind of enforcing the idea that that really was a big. And I love, I love how embarrassed he is about it as well. And he says like, don't, don't tell Betsy. And Lou's like, well, I'm more scared of her than I am of you. I'm calling her. Yeah. Yeah. But Lou, even like, I mean, he really should have run after. Uh, after Ed. Probably. He should have, rather than getting in the car, because apparently Ed knew a faster way to get to the house. Well, I was going to say, there are certain and uh, there are certain leaps that you have to take in this episode, and there aren't many. I think it's it's incredible how tightly structured the writing right. this season has been, but there are a couple of leaps I think this episode asks you to make, one of which is Ed was somehow able to make it back far enough ahead of the two of them in their cruiser on foot yeah. to get Peggy, have this conversation, and leave. Yeah, and also Ed is kind of not a sleek fellow, so no. he can run rather fast for for someone who's, you know, a hefty fella. Yeah, they actually, you know, I hadn't thought too much about it because when I see him, you know, you see Jesse Plemons, and I, I'm familiar with Jesse Plemons first and foremost. Yes. It was Breaking Bad, which first brought him to my attention. Friday Night Lights is what I'm For a lot of, of people. Um, where he's like a football player size, and he's actually pretty in good shape. He's not in such good yeah, shape anymore. I almost, so. I almost forgot Forget that he's carrying around this large midsection on yeah. the show until in this episode you get you get Hansi using the fact that he's overweight as a descriptor. Yeah, yeah. At the same episode where you see him bolt really fast. Yeah. And also I like how you say carrying around like he could just take it off. Well, I mean, take it off when he gets back to the cabin. I think when Jesse Plemons goes back to his trailer, he could probably take it off. Probably, yeah. When he's working on the next role, I, I think he could probably take it off. <laughs> um, and then almost immediately, uh, Hansi arrives at the house as well, and he's searching around, and he finds that Constance, by the way, is her name. Constance! Um, got it, got it. Ka-ching. Um, yeah. Finds the note, which leads him directly to her. Right, yeah. And you see her preparing this... Uh, this really romantic dinner. By the way, I want to I want to nod respect to the uh, art department on who's decided to make the art in the uh, Constance's bedroom or hotel room that she was planning on sharing with Peggy and having a romantic night. Two flowers, two flowers, yeah. kind of facing one another. I'm like, okay, I see what you, I see what you're doing there with that image, that two budding flowers. <laughs> Facing one another, <laughs> right in between the two beds. I'm like, oh, okay, it's, uh, all right. It's it's way the, to be subtle, guys. It's both the the least subtle and most subtle I yeah. think, production design touch. And there were like black outlines on a white wall, so it wasn't even. At first, I was like, is that just hanging on the wall? Oh, okay, they're flowers. Oh, they're flowers. They're not. 
they're not female genitals. Like I thought they were. <laughs> I thought they were. Okay, all right. So I feel like we're gonna we're gonna jump around a little bit, but since there isn't too terribly much to to talk about in okay relates in to one. in relates as relates to Constance in this episode, Hansi arrives at the hotel room and there's this very tense phone conversation where clearly he's pushing Constance to try and get Peggy to tell her where she is so that Hansi can go find them. Right, and it doesn't it doesn't pan out. No, but and, it's uh, it gets rather close though. It's it's enough. Yeah. It's enough. Are you talking about when she when he's got his arm around her and yeah. is for is kind of squeezing the information out of Peggy? It's enough to really know to go to a store. It's enough to like enough to drive around an area and find maybe a, a, a central location to kind of narrow the search down. And right, he knows that there's a cabin in the woods somewhere. You're right, and obviously we know that ultimately by the end of the episode he does locate them. But my yeah. question really is. Do you think Hansi left without killing her? That's a good question. Because um, we don't see I, it. And ordinarily, again, and we've made comments about this in the past, I feel like TV has conditioned us now to go, well, if we don't see a body, then they may not really be dead. But we've seen now enough times this season deaths happen off screen. We didn't see Joe Bulo die. We saw his hand. Right. We didn't see Otto die. I believe Simone to be dead at this point. Well, the thing is, like, yeah, I think Simone's dead. Well, we still have two episodes, and this ends... They all come back. This ends in a surprising spot. I mean, this, like, this episode is a climax that I expected to see at least in the next episode, if not the very last episode. It was a very odd climax in this one. But anyways, we'll get to that. Um, With Constance, I don't think it matters too much. To it ultimately, be ultimately doesn't. I think her story has come to an end either way. I think that her involvement in the, the Blomquist lives has kind of ended. But I think that judging from his his kind of attitude in this episode and the journey that he's going through, I imagine he left her alive because I don't think she was any threat at all. Maybe to call the cops. So that might have actually doomed her a little bit, but I I don't know. I wasn't very sure. I actually expected to see some and see her actually die or not die because she didn't die. I, I expect that she's still alive. Yeah, and my but, I agree with you completely. I think at this point, regardless of whether or not there's another body to add to the count, I think her her yeah her utility to the story is more or less. I think we're end. gonna get some sort of uh, and there's another body and but or uh. Oh, here she is, like, you know, right over the cop car, visiting maybe Peggy in jail, which could possibly happen. Sure. But, you know, it's, is he at the, has, has he passed the, the redneck bar yet? When we're, as we're talking about this, did we skip over that? Well, I, we're, we were going to jump around regardless, but okay. I believe that that is, uh, I believe that's, actually, we may have jumped past it, but we'll, obviously we're going to jump right. back to well, it. Right, well, at some point he believes that he's... He's looking for, um, he's looking in a town of Sioux Falls to find, to find the couple. And he finds this bar that's, uh, that for one thing, he, the first thing he sees is a plaque dedicating the death of like 22, what is it, 26? 22 Indians were hanged here. Sioux Indians hanged there and right underneath it's just a, a pile of vomit. And he enters this bar, which turns out to be the most racist bar in the world. Yeah. And he sits down. By the way, um, behind the bartender, on the wall, are symbols that look a lot like the alien symbols. Really? Yeah. See, and I missed that. Yeah. It's there. 
read up on the bar. Now, there's some theories about this. Some people think that they're actual Sioux or Native American symbols, that that's how they're kind of connected okay. to the alien signs. Uh, other, I, I came up with another theory on Reddit, on the Fargo Reddit forum, which thank you guys for that. But it had, um, it, it had uh, cow brands that for farmers and, like, cowboys. Like, who branded cattle. Interesting. So that could be another aspect of it, or it could be a little bit of both, a little bit of A, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column uh, B. So it's, they were just there, and I wanted to pay note at that. But anyways, it's the most... It's interesting that you bring that up, because I think historical context has been significant uh, as relates to the story of the season, or or specifically Uh how certain characters interact with each other. This might be the most time we've spent with Hanzi, concentrated uh, at any point up till now. Except for maybe when he was going through the Waffle House. A good point. But that was a silent kind of moment. But you also see so much more, and obviously it plays into every decision that he makes, all the violent actions that he takes, or occasionally doesn't take in this episode, but I think it's important to point out, we're in 1979, and this was, if I'm not mistaken, it was only six years after Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. It was only six years after, like, the American Indian movement really began. Right. So you have, you know, you cannot discount, and you see some of it in the episode with how some of these people at the bar talk to and treat Hanzi. You you see yeah. this horrible, racist, in, inhuman treatment of him because he's a Native American. And he points out, you know, uh, I forget, he's got a purple heart. He's yeah, got a bronze well, they, star they three tours him, in Vietnam. They treat him like he's from another country. They treat him like he's not an American citizen, which is really ironic because the Native Americans were the maybe the first, like, American citizens. They, they were literally here before yeah, anyone they else. Were, yeah, they were. And... Um, it's and he kind of puts it in their face that he's a war hero. He's someone who's fought their battles. He's fought America's battles, and he's uh, and he's come back from them. And he's he, you know, when he asks for water, he gets spit in it. Yep. And people don't even realize that he's someone who's not, you know, he's not a refugee. He's not like a a guy from another country. He's not someone who's a freeloader. He's an American citizen who's uh, fought the same battles as them. And when he leaves, that doesn't really help with that nice little retort that he has because he gets a bunch of rednecks, like, right right behind him. Well, they follow him out, and there's mm-hmm. – they continue to throw slurs at him. And I think yeah. there's there's a moment – and you don't see it. It's actually great. Uh, Zon McLaren, who, again, you can't tip your hat enough to him, the actor who plays Hansi. Yeah. You don't see his face. It's just you, – you watch his pace as he's walking back to the truck. He also has that moment where he just says, like, I just wanted a glass of water. Yeah. Which says so much, because he didn't want... He's a dangerous man. He yep. is He is as powerful and dangerous as Malvo is, but he's not as much of a force of destruction. He's more of like a... He's a gun that you aim at people. Yes. But he's not, like... He's not an atomic bomb. Right. He doesn't want to just, like, destroy everyone. So when he realizes he has to go on the attack, he has to go on the offensive... He just – this is the first time you see a sense of emotion in his eyes because he's able to really carry this cold look throughout all these episodes Yeah, where you don't really know what's playing behind the eyes. You don't know if he's someone who's loyal to Dodd or loyal to the rest of the family, is off on his own agenda, or if he's someone with an actual like, you know, 
sense of heart or anything. You don't really know. You, there's a, there's a lot of stoneness behind him. Right. And at that moment, you just see it kind of melt away, and you know you knew what was coming. You well, knew like, he was going to be Rambo First Blood. Well, it's like yeah, exactly. When he when he is walking away from these rednecks who are throwing these insults at him, these very specific racial slurs, yeah. and you see the back of his head, and then you see him stop, and you see him turn, and there's a moment where, and again, it's it's perfect for that character because like you say he is so stone-faced and and stoic and not uh so quick to show emotion you don't see really the moment where the camel's back breaks yeah you just know that he stops he turns pulls his gun and then just kneecaps two of them oh and then the cops pull up almost immediately oh because he goes back into the bar shoots the the bartender bartender. it's almost like you almost think it's deserved at this point because there's a part of you that like uh that uh, is it, Schadenfreuden, where it just has that feeling of just like, oh yeah, they deserve it though. You kind of want him to go off on this killing spree, and when he does, you're just like, oh well, you know, they deserve it. And even like the, the everyone he kills or everyone he shoots is basically says a racist slur to them because even well, the cops, even the troopers come out and they say freeze. I'm quoting freeze coaches. Coach, yeah, and then so he just kills them it, and the two troopers that he kills. The two troopers and it's the two troopers that we heard in the previous episode uh, that were killed and uh, we a lot of the stuff that happened in this episode was hinted at the previous one. We're just seeing the other half of the day. We're seeing the other the other perspective yeah. of that time. So. Then he gets back in the car and he goes back to and he finds the uh, the store, the um, the uh, gas station where the guy is, and basically has a scene straight out of the movie. The the lake, the down down at the lake, right? Yeah, yeah. He says, "Well, he's going crazy there down at the lake. He's going <laughs> crazy there down at the lake." Like saying that over and over and over again. That was straight out of the movie. It happens uh, when one of the officers pulls up to a guy who's like shoveling his. Um, shoveling his driveway. I just rewatched the scene just because I was like, that was definitely, that was definitely in the movie. And so I had to kind of catch up on that. But yeah, and, and, uh, so he finds a location of the Blomquist. And now let's, I guess, backtrack. Yeah, we'll backtrack and then we'll get to where they, where they convene. Right. So I thought all season so far, they've used split screen to a phenomenal effect to show us right. build tension, showing us things that are happening concurrently in separate locations, or at the very mm-hmm. least, not certainly not right next to each other. And the way they play the scene between the Blumquist in the car, and they use the split screen to show so clearly how disconnected the two of them are from each other, as they're they're right next to each other having. On the surface, I guess the same conversation. You see they're how clearly totally different. Yeah, you see how clearly they're not actually having the same conversation. Yeah, which was kind of a surprise because in the previous episodes, it seemed like they were starting to come together on stuff. It seemed like it was kind of a love story that was like, okay, they kind of are in the same location, they're in the same thing, but everything that happened in that basement with Dodd kind of broke Peggy. Well, I, and I think that's something that you see several examples of in this episode. Mm-hmm. Peggy has, um, I guess maybe the colloquial way to put it, has just completely lost it. Right, yeah. Um, and she's talking it's like... It's a technical term, I believe. She's completely lost it. She's completely... She's, she's gone full full lop-lopsadaisical. Lop, yeah, she's, um, she's in full lop-lop. <laughs> but so, she's talking as if this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right. Like, they've broken free of this rut, and Ed doesn't really know what she's talking Ed's about. Ed's still like, trying that was to survive, home. and he's he doesn't quite know what to make out of Peggy's, like, positive attitude at this, because I think at first he was a little worried, and then he's just kind of like, okay, as long as you stay positive, and he kind of laughs at it, but they're just in totally separate worlds. 
and, and they don't quite know what's going Ed on. And Ed is is it almost sounds like Ed is talking to himself because he's keeping his eyes completely straight right on the road and he's he's talking about logistics and he's right. almost mu- not mumbling exactly but he's saying it almost under his breath to the point where you almost you wonder or I wondered is he even really focused on relaying this information to Peggy or is he saying it because he's just running through thoughts and he doesn't yeah. know what else to do in that He moment. also doesn't really know how to get out of the police situation. He knows how to maybe save he has an idea about how to save his skin with the uh uh, with the Gerhards, which is just to kidnap Dodd and to kind of give Dodd back to them and hope, like, eh, is this enough? Is this going to be enough? And then hopefully it'll save his skin. Well, and that's that's the plan initially. And we see uh, the Gerhardt side of the equation in the previous episode where they're receiving these calls and not right. and just not answering them. them. Um, but Ed's plan, as described by Ed to Peggy, is essentially, well, if we give him back, maybe they'll leave us alone, which. Please feel free Naive. to disagree. It's a bad plan. Oh. That's an exceptionally, almost unthinkably bad plan. It doesn't make any sense. Really, their safest option, if they were thinking of it, is just to turn themselves into the police. Right. And just to keep the police protecting them. But, you know, they're not in a logical state of mind. Nope. So they're just like, okay, we got to get free. Because right now they're at, they have their freedom and they need their safety. And right. So they think the safety is to get Dodd in the trunk. And get him to the cabin. So, in the cabin, we see a lot of another, a few mirrored images from uh, from the movie. It almost like an inverse of many elements of the movie, right? Yeah, because you even get Dodd and um, tied up, almost in the exact same position as as the the wife in in that. And there's there's even a wood chipper in the back, by the way. Yeah, there's a nice shot of the wood chipper just to be like, eh, eh, paying attention. Worth, worth noting, uh, before they even get Dodd inside, he tries to escape, and they have to zap him multiple times with the right. prod to the point where he almost bites his tongue out of his own mouth. Right. Yes. Yes. A lot of zapping. A lot, a lot of, zapping. of zapping being done, which is the good to see because Dodd's kind of a dick. Let's be honest. Nothing happens to Dodd that he does not deserve entirely. That's very true. Yeah. Except maybe the peeing in the cup. I think he could have. I think he could have just <laughs> wet himself. I think that was. I think the peeing because I felt bad for. <laughs> I felt bad for like uh, they, now they have this. Now they have this. Uh, it looked like a tea, a teapot. Yeah. And so now they have this teapot. They're like, we can never make tea out of that teapot. It's the Don <laughs> urine teapot. It's not the. It's it's they'll have to go without tea now. I would have to go without tea now. I would. I will say, if you would ask me in first three four episodes. I never in a thousand years would have thought that we'd be uh, now two episodes from the end of the season and one character would have said to another that they better not pee on them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I foresaw it, but I thought it was two other characters. I thought oh, it was sure. going to be, yeah. I thought it was going to be Hansi and Hi- Hank. Hansi and yeah. peeing on each other? Peeing on each as other. As they get lifted into space? Yeah. As they get lifted <laughs> into space. Don't pee on me. <laughs> one thing before we hit these aliens. You better not pee on me. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Wow. Uh, I knew Ed was going to get his hands on someone's junk. I just thought it was going to be a bit different. Sure. Yeah, than that. That was predicted. Did you, did you know or did you hope? I hoped. Sure. I really hoped. <laughs> uh, this is in my Fargo slash fishing, uh, fiction that you can uh, look up. <laughs> Fargo and never come back again. So the, uh... That's the name of my slash fiction that so I haven't the... written yet, but it's going to be. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. The one, the one <laughs> act of kindness, I suppose. Well... No, there are there are moments, and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. There are moments, especially once 
Ed goes to make these phone calls and leaves Dodd alone with Peggy. Yeah, and this is interesting because these are two characters that kind of represent the exact different sides of a battle that's being fought in the 70s at this point is to figure out, you know, this is the kind of the start of the feminist self-actualization movement. So you have Peggy who's trying to self-actualize and become the best woman and wife that she can be without necessarily breaking the constraints of what she thinks marriage is in the past. And then you have Dodd, who's just a raging misogynist. Yep. And just it just hates women entirely. So even while tied up, he's like, I'm going to show you the back of my hand. I'm going to teach you a lesson. For a second, he tries a different tact where he tries to appeal to, to Peggy's humanity by saying, you know, I've got four daughters. I'm not such a bad guy. But he can't. He can't even keep that up for more than a thousand. He also just called her a whore. So he's like, you're a whore. I got four daughters. I don't look at me. And then... This is also a lie, I think. And then Peggy stabs him in the shoulder. Yeah, this was an amazing scene because it showed... It showed a side of Peggy that it's kind of... We've kind of hinted around, but now we see it full force where you see she doesn't necessarily hurt him entirely, but hurts him. Oh, no, it's like, definitely, mind, mind your manners. Yeah, definitely, like, stabs him and has this nice little... It has this thing that we keep talking about where the most important thing in the Fargo-verse is that you're decent. Yes. Is that you're a decent person who's polite. So having having this knife and forcing someone to be polite is kind of an aspect of that, that weird separation of reality and what they think is proper. Right. And she represents that to a T. And uh, it also has this weird moment where she's she stabs him and doesn't f- it doesn't feel like she realizes what she's done or how far she's gone. She seems again eerily disconnected from what she's doing and in the almost moment. delighted by it. Yes, almost like this is part of her self actualization that she found. This is part of her lop lop that she's able lop, to. Lop. lop lop is actually the sound the knife made when going into Dodd's chest. Lop lop, just two little lops. Well, and again, she stabs him once. He insults her, stabs him in the other shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sits there and feeds him beans. The beans were the scariest part because she not only said, like, hey, do you want beans? He said no. So this was this forced kindness that she was just talking and then sat down to force the beans. And then the only time she kind of felt remorse is when she realized, oh, she fed him beans. Yeah, and he, like, didn't, oh, want he beans. didn't want beans. And, and Dot, I think at that point, Dot is petrified a little oh, bit. And he's just like, no, it's it's fine. It's totally okay. But she's talking about, and again, it's it's what she's been talking about this entire episode. She's talking about how important it is to stay positive and how, you know, she's she's upset that Ed's been a little stressed out, but we're all uh-huh. going to get there. She said the, the line, you know, positive Peggy, that's what they call me. And again, it's like, this is, okay, so Peggy's, Peggy's I think Peggy's gone for all intents and purposes. Like, this, yeah. this version of Peggy's there, but the Peggy that, uh, as Hank would put it, the Peggy that isn't a little bit touched is, I, I think, doesn't exist anymore. No. And this, this version I don't of, know if she ever existed. Never. I think that Peggy was always a little touched. Let's be, she was always... She, as, as generous as I can she, be. She was she was being touched all all throughout this, I think. And, and that there's uh, that's your slash fiction again. Yeah, again. Uh, um, sorry, but uh, uh, this this scene where she's it really seems like she's got it in her head that as long as we keep our chins up and we do what we right. got to do, we be the best versions of ourselves. That somehow their lives will go back to normal. Yeah, and also uh, at this time she's struggling with a TV that doesn't work a lot, like uh, like in the Fargo movie. 
Yes. And also, like, in the Fargo movie, there's, like, uh, dung beetles or there's the scarabs or something that, that we see briefly. That also happens in the movie. And also, in the movie version of it, Peter Stormare ends up watching a soap opera with Bruce Campbell in it. Yes. And instead of instead of watching Bruce Campbell, she actually watches a movie starring a young Ronald Reagan. So this movie that she's watching, and I didn't realize this immediately as I was watching the episode, but as I was doing a little bit of reading after the fact, this, this is a movie, it's a fictional movie, but it's a fictional movie called Operation Eagle's Nest, uh-huh. which apparently Molly was also watching in episode three, and Reagan himself, Bruce Campbell, referenced in episode five. Right. So this movie has been a a lingering thread as well, and I thought there were some really, really great touches uh in how they chose to use the movie and uh, uh, yeah, where I, they placed it. I thought, for example, the fact that... Also, we, something that we skipped over that keeps coming up again and again is uh, Peggy's Peggy's lop-lop therapist uh-huh. earlier in the episode asked her that question about, do you understand the difference between thinking and being? Being, And course. she says, you know, well, I don't, I'm not going to think about the person I want to be. I'm just going to be that person. And so she's, I think... Over the course of the episode, more and more committed to, yeah, we're going to be the, the positivity thing and then being in the moment, being the best version of yourself. Yeah. And she and there's this wonderful technique where you see the, you know, the black and white TV interference gradually fades away as Peggy, not thinking, just being totally present in the moment, gets more and more sucked into this Immersed movie that she's watching. And that's when Dodd is able to get himself untied. Right. And also during the movie, and I should have rewound and watched this again, uh, but... Did the woman, this was maybe in my mind, but did the woman in the movie have that Fargo accent? The I, accent, I, I couldn't, without I going back and like, checking. I feel like there was a moment where she slipped into the accent, which means I think that we were seeing it through Peggy's mind. And that she saw herself as that woman, and she saw herself as the two, the two women trapped in the basement, and there's a Nazi coming, but they're saved by a white knight who's played by young Ronald Reagan. And it's that imagery that keeps popping up through the season of the 70s wanting a uh, a hero to come and save the day. And in the 80s, it's Ronald Reagan leading that idealized America where everything's like, you know, perfect, city on the hill, and he's the hero to save the day. Yep. But what happens in the movie... Yep. What happens in, in real life or, you know, in the cabin... Is the Nazi is shot, and then you see the Nazi stand up, get back up, and go after them again. Yep. And at that moment, we see that Dodd has left left the, his bounds and is now you know behind her at that at that moment, and uh, kind of takes control of the situation. Well, and I think it's, we talked we've talked a bunch about exactly what you're saying about Reagan being this idealized hero that everyone expects to come in and save the day but even in the movie where the reagan character mm-hmm. apparently saves the day he doesn't just in the same way that we've talked right. about it's this hero that never actually comes he never can actually save the day he can never actually make that city the city on the hill exactly and then there's some interesting parallels and you know if you if you read recaps of this episode you saw a bunch of different people dissecting it a bunch of different ways uh the couple that before they're saved by the reagan character are talking about essentially one having to sacrifice himself for the other because mm-hmm. there's no way both of them are going to make this out of the situation make the what english make it out make of it situation. out of the situation so 
that you know a lot of people are theorizing is this is there a direct parallel here to the Blumquist is one of them going to have to give up everything whether it's their freedom or their lives so that the other one can make it out of the situation at all right it'll be more if we could talk about them predictions let's save that for predictions because sure. we also have to talk about Ed what's Ed has been dealing with the situation has been calling um, calling the Gerhards and not getting response. Season, by the way, this is how he knows this where is what Mike Milligan is. One of the moments in the episode where I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take the leap. I love this show. Uh, I will, I'll take that leap with you, sure. I'll go with it, I guess. Because I was like, how did he get that number? Oh, he saw that he was staying there in a newspaper. The, the yeah, newspaper's so, headline. So this raises a number of questions to me. First and foremost is Mike Milligan so far has been portrayed as somebody who, whatever else he is, is exceptional at this very dark, seedy job that he has to right. do. It seems highly unlikely to me that he's going to put himself in a situation where his name and location are published in a newspaper. Well, he's also someone who, like the Gerhards, are kind of immune from the law and immune from... From being, they're in a whole nother plane of existence when it comes to um, justice because they seem to interact with the law without getting arrested all the time. Sure. So it's actually uh, in this world that they're building up. It's uh, it makes sense that maybe he's a notorious criminal and just hasn't been arrested for it yet. Like okay. he's kind of a. I don't know. I was he's kind of a Scarface type character that you kind of know everyone knows he's there. Right. But Al, Al Capone, I mean, like he's kind of like someone who could be uh everyone knows is a gangster but hasn't been arrested for it yet. Haven't they haven't found the tax fraud. Okay. Maybe, but it's still a stretch. It's it a, was, yeah, right. In in a world where we haven't established that, I could I could buy that. I could I could make that leap, but it's still there's a moment of yeah. It's funny because this show has so much intelligent writing that when there is like a moment that's just kind of like, and uh, Hank gets hit on the head, uh, <laughs> and uh, Mike Millian is deceived in the newspaper, I was like, uh, okay, I'll go with it. Because everything else is genius, but I'll go with this. Sure. Anyways. But it's not like it breaks the episode. It's not, it's certainly not so, no. it's not, I, I'm not going to speak for you, but in my perception, it's not bad per se. No. It just I, feels it a little bit out of step with. When you look at it through a microscope like we're doing, right. it it seems a little like a, the weakest link. But when you don't, when you're just enjoying the show, it doesn't really matter. It, it's, it's only, I think, two, and I forget, I forgot until this episode ended and I went, how many are left? There's two, there's two left. So right. I think there's a certain amount of decision making you have to do as a team of writers to go, well, we only have so much more time to tell this story. We have to get here what are some ways that don't completely break the logic of this world that we can make things happen a little bit more quickly? Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I I, I think they could have solved it if they had just Mike passing a, I don't know. That that's a harder one. Well, to look, choose. if it was if it was me, I would almost what I thought might happen because right. we know that we know that uh, the Gerhards didn't answer the phone. We know that Bear was behaving in a way that made it seem like he'd just as soon have Dodd dead. Um the first thought that I had, not I didn't have it after um, last week's show, or I would have thrown it out in predictions, but as I was thinking about it over the course of the week, I went, well, we know somebody 
somehow Ed gets Milligan's number. Wouldn't it be interesting if Bear or someone over there gave up Dodd willingly? Right, that's true. But you know what? I'm sure, look, I'm certainly not saying I'm disappointed that it didn't happen. I guarantee whatever's going to happen in the next two episodes is far smarter than anything that I would come up with. Right. But that was my first thought. So when it was newspaper, I went, oh, okay, okay. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. I would have had like one interaction with Mike and and him and just passed off a card. Sure. But that was that that's even harder to think of. And I would have had Hank just stayed unconscious. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know why Hank got up in the first place. I think he just should have stayed down there. They could have done the running thing. They could have done all of that. Just Hank's unconscious. But that, anyways, <laughs> that's dwelling on things. Um, what, one thing that's important that's happening with Ed as he's making these phone calls is he's making these phone calls in front of a unfinished hangman game. Yeah, that which says, is, says Sioux Falls. Yeah, but it is also interesting foreshadowing to what happens to him later in the episode. Yes. Because he's... He's constantly, and uh, and I think I misspoke earlier, it's Ed that keeps going into the gas station and saying he's going crazy down uh, down by the cabin, by the uh, by the lake, and that's what really, that's the, um, that's the thing that kind of, uh, the biggest lead that leads everyone to the cabin, much like in the movie with Steve Buscemi saying he's going crazy down by the lake. Yes. So that's, that's the connection there. So, and also there is this confusion with the gas station guy and the bartender from the movie where they both, everyone thinks that they're talking about women when he says redhead. Yeah. And there's yeah, yeah. like this moment in the, in the, uh, in the movie, Steve Buscemi's really asking for women, like, to, to find a prostitute to bring down by the cabin. And this guy just assumes Hansi wants a prostitute when he shows up and talks to him. But notice also how Hansi didn't kill the uh the gas station guy no which is actually makes me think that um constance is still alive i think because it would be consistent because the only people that you see and again, and again we'll put a even finer point on it very very shortly the only people that receive uh hansi's wrath in this episode are people that he feels have insulted him personally right so uh at this moment ed's ed started the the gears turning on the the kansas city folk Heading towards Sioux Falls. So what I think is interesting, too, about this conversation that he has with Mike Milligan, and of course Mike Milligan gets, even in his, his brief uh, uh, appearance in this episode, gets some wonderful yeah, moments. gets the best lines out of like the the one minute or two minutes he's actually in the episode. Yeah, and the actor's name is Bokeem Woodbine, and I hadn't, I I'm, I know I've seen him in something else. Somebody on Twitter, on the internet, please like throw me his filmography, uh, because I can't look it up myself, I guess. We, we don't look <laughs> we at IMDb. We use the internet very selectively. Um, but he's phenomenal. He was in, what, tops two minutes of this episode? Yeah. And has some of the most wonderful, like he, straight up when Dodd says, I've got, when Dodd, when Ed says, I've got Dodd in the trunk of my car, do you want him? Straight up says, is it is it inappropriate if I kiss you when we meet? <laughs> Yeah, and then even just his, you know, his uh, Ed hears uh, uh, Mike Milligan's tone, maybe, and and asks him, you know, what Milligan's just like, no, it's just it's been a day. And, you know, <laughs> you cut back to Mike Milligan, and it's of course immediately after he and uh, the kitchen brother had to kill the Undertaker and his dudes. Yeah. They're covered in blood. There's blood everywhere, and Milligan's just like, yeah, it's been a day. It's been a day. But yeah, that really also reinforces how out of fish out of water Mike is in this uh, Fargo verse. How he kind of like the way he talks and the way he interacts with people and the way he can be so forward with I'm going to kiss you on the mouth joke is not at all Midwestern. It just kind of doesn't – it doesn't click with Ed that's like, wait, what? 
And the other thing that I thought was really interesting uh, about the phone conversation in an episode where the this idea of self-actualization, this idea of lop-lopping, if you will, yeah. is such a prominent thematic point. I don't think, I mean, Ed certainly doesn't have the same moment of, for lack of a better term, let's just call it actualization that Peggy or Hansi has, but I do think it's interesting that he refers to himself as the butcher of Laverne for the first time in this phone conversation. Because he has, the fact is, like, Ed's not, he's not Mike Milligan, he's not Hansi, but he did kill a couple of people. Yeah. And I feel like you don't kill a couple of people and not change, like, very much in your core. That we found a third lop-lop. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. So this I'm, was his this was his lop lop moment because and, he was able to come out as the butcher alter ego. And on I the think phone. certainly there's a certain amount of that that was him posturing because he knows he's talking to a criminal. Right, yeah. But at the same time to hear him say it, his willingness to do that felt a little bit like him coming to terms with this is part of who I am now. Right. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That's great. So he goes back. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. What? Uh, no, I agree with everything you just said. I just was like, yeah, that's. The, I can't add any more to that perfect uh, version of that. So he goes he, when he goes back to the cabin. That's when he discovers uh, there's a trap set for him. Yeah, Peggy's um, been knocked out. At first, he doesn't know if she's dead or alive. Yeah, and runs to runs to her and then gets hung or hanged. I think it's actually hanged. I believe it's hanged. Yeah, in this... Hung means something else entirely. Yeah. Save that for the slash fiction. Well, that's where where that joke in uh, Blazing Saddles comes from. We're like, they said you was hung. They was right. Uh, Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway. Perfect. Hanged. Um, What's important here uh, from Dodd's perspective, and I think his ultimate downfall, which I was really happy to see, is uh, how much he set a trap for the guy. And how much he just didn't think the woman was a problem. Yep. Just didn't, thought of Peg, thought of Peggy as like not, he's not going to get in the way of everything. He starts going on this men's rights (laughs) misogynist like speech out of nowhere. Just talking about how like women are taking men down, Samson, Delilah, blah, blah, blah. And as that's happening and as Ed is being hung, hanged. And um, um, basically, almost I thought almost that was the end of Ed for a second there. Well, I because he stopped moving. I and, think if Peggy had been a second slower, he'd be yeah. gone. Yeah, and then she reacts, and is really his ultimate downfall because he kind of cripples him, gets him in the uh, gets him in the feet, and then cuts down Ed, and then Hansi comes in. And, of course, Dodd, being the absolute dolt that he is, assumes, okay, great, I'm great, I'm being rescued, kill him, we're done, we go home now. Yeah, he's being, he is so, he doesn't have any sort of gratitude, he takes any sort of loyalty for granted, he feels like he's entitled to um, have a loyal servant, and he's entitled to win the day at the end. And instead what happens is, the first some of the first words he says to Hansi is uh, mongrel and half-breed. Yep. And Hansi's had quite a day. It's, it's, it's been it's a day for Hansi, too. It's been quite a day for Hansi. And it, it's a breaking point for him. Uh, and he just shoots Dodd right in the head, which is the most surprising moment of the series. My, one of the series. My jaw dropped, and then I just started laughing. I said, I just went like, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I was so ready for someone to shoot... 
Adot has been a wonderful asshole to watch, which is a say, terrible it, sentence to say. But, but <laughs> it's slash fiction. Yeah, but um, it's it, it was he's he's great to watch, but I needed him dead. I just sure. needed it is almost there's a little bit of me that's sad that we won't get two more episodes of Jeffrey Donovan's performance because this episode, I think yeah. more than any other episode, you saw so many ultimately, yes, you come back to the same Dodd, this is an awful, awful, wretched person. Yeah. But you see, you see Dodd get to be uh, very comedic, weak you, and defenseless. Weak, defenseless, and then of course circles right back around to this, this, this person, this version of himself that he just can't help but be. And right. he finally, yes, he gets he gets the bullet in the head that I think we've all been hoping somebody would. Yeah, and then Hansi wants a haircut. So this was an interesting touch, I mm-hmm. thought. Um, and this, I think, was Hansi's moment of finally, it's the combination. It's the combination of putting a bullet in Dodd's head and breaking free completely of that life and that world. These people yeah. who he must have known as long, and you know, you don't know exactly how long he's been involved with the Gerhards. That's a bit ambiguous. But he must have known these people aren't his friends. Right. And this is finally, obviously, is a very, very uh, direct and uh, extreme way of severing that connection completely. Yeah. But then turns to Peggy, and I think the Blumquist probably assume for a minute that they're they're next, mm-hmm. asks Peggy to cut his hair. Yeah. Says that he wants a more professional haircut, shorter on in the on the sides and in the back. And uh I think it's interesting in um I'm trying to see what's yeah, so in in certain Native American cultures cutting of the male hair is a symbol right. of mourning. Yeah, it's a symbol of mourning and it's also uh I think it's also a symbol of defeat in a lot of ways am i wrong there because it's 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 kind of uh and it's also just you could see it as severing himself from a native american past in a way i think it's to kind of deal with the racism he's just like uh found and also you got to realize he just killed someone who just referenced samson a ton so that's also a big part of it too that he wanted I think it's also a sense of strength that he wanted to just get drained out of him. It's that warrior aspect that I think he just wanted out of his system. So that's why he really asked for the haircut at that moment. It's also just a wonderful moment because you see in Peggy's eyes that there's a chance, and Ed's eyes, that there's a chance that Peggy could stab him at that. And I really didn't want that to happen. My assumption, and it's an incredibly tense bit of business when he sits down and Peggy prepares to start cutting the hair yeah. because you know great don't, editing great acting at you, that moment you know that you've got you've got the dead dot on the floor and you've got Hansi in the chair Peggy's behind him with the scissors and Ed is positioned it looks like directly in front of Hansi yeah. you don't see where Hansi's gun is or where it's pointed but it doesn't look like he puts it away so right. my fear was that Peggy would try and stab him and would get Ed Shut. killed I thought, yeah, Ed was going to get killed or Peggy was going to get killed or both of them were going to be killed. Because you can't stab a guy and totally incapacitate him. You right. just can't do that unless you get him in the neck. But I don't think she will she has the foresight to do that. Well, I feel like to you you would need Hansi to incapacitate Hansi with scissors. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You would need another Hansi. Um, but she, she doesn't even get the chance to cut his hair. And you get the feeling that she was actually going to cut the hair. 
Because then the uh, Lou and Hank start coming out of the woods. Yeah, and they presumably were tipped off because the the gas station attendant that Hansi Hansi leaves alive immediately sees his picture in the newspaper. In the newspaper. <laughs> in the newspaper. Which, to be truthful, I think that one made more sense to me because he yes. just he just murdered several people. Yes, and they kind of know who they're looking for. Sure. So it makes sense that they would get his like picture. But out I like. Did you see? Soon. Was it? Did you see the the name like the headline the the banner on the newspaper yeah it was like indian or i wasn't sure was i was just off the top of my head but i'm going like i'm gonna call it exposition press yeah yeah exposition press yeah perfect yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so then yeah lou and hank having found the cabin uh hansi fires a shot at them they fire back Peggy takes that moment to actually stab hansi with the scissors yeah. which accomplishes essentially nothing yeah well it it makes it I think it makes it so, uh, I'm surprised he had to run away anyways, so to kind of maybe slow him down. I don't know. At, at that point, she just kind of went for it. I think she stopped thinking about it. She started being that stabber. And very, and, kind of and his, his move was to try and kill them, but at that moment, his gun is either empty or jammed, and he yeah. can't, cause he would have shot Ed right in the face. Yeah. That's Realizing true. that's not a course of action, he bails as Hank and Lou come in the other door of the cabin, Blumquist's hands fly up, Episode ends. Which is surprising, because I did not picture the Blomquist getting back into police hands at this point. Right. I thought it was going to happen at the end of the show. Um, but I'm, Or I thought they were going to end up dying, which they still could, but... They still could. So, And on that note, because we are running short on time, I want to jump mm-hmm. really quickly into predictions so right. that we can actually hit a little bit of that. Before we wrap to the spooky lights, spooky lights prediction. Your after buzz TV aliens. So, so the aliens are going to come down and brand everyone. So right, is that is that what we're building towards now? That the humans are now cattle for the aliens? Yeah, maybe they think they're going to be saviors and sure. they turn out to be just cattle for them. Sure. Man, that that's one of my predictions. I literally, I have, I have completely abandoned trying to figure out how they're going to pay the alien thing off at all. Oh my god, I still don't know because they do it every other episode too. They don't do it every episode. They have some nod to it. This was surprising that they had a little bit of a nod in this one, but I, I don't know if that's so much a nod or something. But I think it's going to be next episode. It's going to be alien heavy. That's my sure. guess. Sure. Okay. And then the last episode is going to have something, too. Well, and you know, now it's interesting where all the chips are laid. We know that uh, the Blumquist are in police custody. Mm-hmm. We know that Mike Milligan is going to show up expecting to make this trade with Ed that Ed can no longer make because Dodd is not alive anymore. Right. We know that now Hansi's on the lamb out by himself. And we know that this is all building towards some horrible incident at Sioux Falls that leads Lou to abandon his badge. Yeah, well, we also know that Lou has Ed in custody and I think Ed and uh, Peggy are planning on just I don't know cooperating unless Peggy has another break or, or decides something but I could see Ed telling Lou about the meeting at Sioux Falls so they try to work together to kind of do some stop Mike at Sioux Falls that's my guess but it's hard to say because they keep having interactions with Mike and they don't arrest them. They don't do anything. They just have a try to have a conversation to stop the war from happening. But the war is happening, so maybe they try to 
actually take a more active part in the war and shut it down by meeting them there at Sioux Falls. And then that creates the giant massacre. But I'm not sure. And that's the thing. And that's, I think, a credit to how brilliantly the show was written is that every time I say, I think this is going to happen, it's yeah. not even similar to what happens. It also, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Gerhards now know about Sioux Falls as well. Because I think the last time we see them is that guy admitting, like, this? the guy's been calling, or they think they found... Oh, wait, isn't there a phone call from Hansi? Am I wrong here? That they, there's a last time we see them is they're on the compound. There's a phone call, and they say they found Dodd. And you see Floyd run into the house sure. to get back on the phone. Yeah. So if that's the case, then they might be heading towards Sioux Falls, too. So you've got presumably, and I can't imagine that Mike Milligan is going to go and make this exchange without telling anybody from Kansas City that that's what's happening. Right. I imagine to cover himself, there is a chance that he would get in touch with Kansas City, say the Gerhards killed the Undertaker, I've got Dodd, I'm bringing him to you, and then he goes and gets Dodd, because then that mark, the fact his his duplicity could mark him as well. Right. We don't know, because I would assume, because Kansas City, this big faceless uh, uh, entity led by Adam Arkin, apparently, yeah. is, Adam Arkin. is still the biggest malevolent force on the show. We've got characters like the remaining members of the Gerhardt clan, like Mike Milligan, who are certainly not pure of intent, yeah. but do not represent to me this this big, unstoppable force of malevolence that right. I think needs to descend upon some of our protagonists for something as dire as what older Lou describes to take place. Yeah. There needs to be a massacre. Yeah. There needs to be something that's also, I think, in part Lou's fault that happens. And I'm. it could also be... It could also mean the end of Hank. That was my first assumption. And now I'm wondering, because that was my first assumption, is there any chance it's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like, especially now, being uh, being hobbled a little bit by his head injury, but still wanting to fight the good fight, I feel yeah. like that's the closest of all of the players on the board involved in... And I'm talking specifically about characters that could potentially be shot and killed. Right. Uh, I think Hank would represent certainly the biggest, most powerful loss for Lou on a personal level. But Hank is also tied in with the alien mystery now. So, like, so he has to... I think he's the one to kind of bring that whole thing to an end. Um, and maybe he does it in his untimely death. Maybe not. I don't know. So, But that might, it might all be tied together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think we'll get we'll get hints and some answers. I'm, I'm assuming uh, because with only two episodes left to go, we have to start tying up loose ends here. Right. I'm pretty sure next week we're going to see some characters meet their end in mm -hmm. the story, whether it's violent or otherwise. Maybe we'll see aliens. Maybe we won't. Still holding out hope for Space Reagan. Yep. I, I will die on that hill. <laughs> we're going to um, get Space Reagan somehow. <laughs> That'll be also in my slash fiction. Uh, but Space uh, Reagan. I would I would hope so. Oh yeah, of course. I'll buy two copies. Chapter one. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and there is a sense of encroaching inevitability and darkness to all of it, and that just makes me really excited. Yeah, it's great. And I think, unless you got anything else, I think that's going to do it for us this I week. I think that's it. Okay, so Mr. Dave Child, where can people find you on the internet? At Mr. Dave Child or, or DaveChild.com. Okay, yeah I, yeah. I will also be out there on the internet-y, webby things, trying to figure out whether or not the aliens are coming. Yep. I'm all over at the Lex Michael. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next week to talk about Fargo a little bit more.
from executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.